Camp the podcast. It's our fourth episode. I'm Miles Schumann, the camper, Britt Lightning, the rock star, David Fishoff, the promoter and founder and CEO of Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp. How are you guys? Great. Doing awesome. Yeah, we're doing great. You know, I, I do want to say we should really thank our, our host network, Pantheon, yeah. and Chris and, and, uh, and his entire crew because, um, you know, we, we, we started, we had one idea what this podcast was going to be, and he said, take us into Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp. Give us an opportunity to show people what it is and what it's like. So it's been fun, right? It's been so fun. But, yeah, they've given us some good guidance, and uh, we're a little less all over the place. I think we're right, <laughs> right. We can, we're staying more focused because we could just have fun and talk about everything all day long. Exactly. <laughs> but, you know, a podcast is fun because you can really kind of talk about things that a TV show can't cover, that even a documentary you have to cut things out of. I mean, this is great. You really just get the unfiltered truth about the behind the scenes of Rock Camp. I'm waiting to get the reaction from people. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> Good and bad. Because yeah. we're not holding back. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Letters from campers, lawyers, etc. Mm-hmm. Once again, I should mention that to celebrate the launch of the podcast, we are giving away an electric guitar signed by Marty Friedman, formerly of Megadeth, Mike Portnoy of Dream Theater, and Zach Wilde, the legendary shredder from Ozzy Osbourne, now with Pantera, and a bunch of rock star counselors from Rock Camp. So all you got to do is follow and rate and review the pod on your favorite platform. Platform. And to do so, you can go to rockcamp.com slash podcast. This is going to run for four weeks, starting on the day that the first four episodes of the podcast drop, and that is January 8th, 2024. We told so many stories in the last few episodes. I mean, there's countless stories in Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp. But you can see the entire story of Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp in Rock Camp the Movie, which is a documentary that came out about Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp in the last two years. We're going to go into now the backstory of the movie, because no one's really known anything about the behind the scenes of the movie. You, you've just seen it out there. I've only done about 300 podcasts, but, right. no, one listened, <laughs> but no one listened to any of them. No. Well, everyone's, everyone was waiting for this I've one. I've never heard for a quote, right? They all want this one, right? So, you know, I guess let's just start with, why did you decide to make a documentary about Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp? Well, it wasn't my idea. It belongs to Jeff Rowe. Jeff and I have been friends for many years. He ran VH1 for many years, and he was on the eighth floor. I was on the seventh floor at 775 Broadway, and he was right above me on the eighth floor, and we used to walk to work together. We were just friends, and I got to know Jeff really well, and one of my favorite stories is when Raquel Welch came to my office, and um, Alan Grubman, the famous music lawyer, had uh, signed her, was representing her. She was at a restaurant one night, and Alan was with the president of CBS Records. His name's right at the tip of my tongue. He was, he was the, the, I'll think of his name. And they decided to go to Raquel Welch and offer her a record deal. They were had a couple of drinks, and they said, hey, let's go have fun, you know? The, the label was huge. It had Springsteen on it, and and Billy Joel on the height, and they just, you know, they walked over to her at a table and said, you know, Miss Welch, my name is Alan Grubman, and, uh, she, you know, we'd love to talk to you about a record deal. They went on and signed into a big record contract. She made this record. She spent a year. She made a video, and then Walter Yetnikoff, that was his name, the famous Walter Yetnikoff, and Walter Yetnikoff goes to his staff one day, and he says, okay, A&R meeting. We got a new artist we signed. The record's in. I want to play you the video. Raquel Welch. And they all looked at him and said, what are you, nuts? We have Springsteen. We have Paul Simon. We have, you name it. You know, we have Mariah Gary. We have the biggest artists there on scene. What are we going to do with Raquel Welch? And the bottom line was, these guys wanted to have fun. You know, in their day, hey days, this is what they did. You know, the money was flowing at the record labels. So I get a call one day, and Alan Grubman calls me up. He says, Fish up. You want to meet Raquel Welch? He's looking for a manager. I got to tell you something. You get a call. Raquel Welch is going to come to you, you know, wants to come meet you, and... 
why not? You know, you, those days you take a meeting with everyone. So she came to see me. I said, yeah, send it to me. She came to see me, and she was absolutely stunning, I have to admit. Every second word that she said started with four letters. And <laughs> she kept saying, F them and this and that. They signed me for a year. I spent making the record, and they can't even get my, my record on charting, and they can't get a video on MTV or VH1. And she was, so I let her go for like 20 minutes. And I said, hold on one second. And I picked up the phone and I called up uh, Jeff Rowe. And I said, Jeff, I'm sitting here with Rocco Welch. And I wanted to know if it's possible, if you could check if you plan to play her video. And uh, she just did this new record for CBS. And he says, hold on, I'll call you back in five, 10 minutes. Well, she loved that I could pick up the phone and speak to the head of VH1. <laughs> Calls me back five minutes later. And he said, David, no, we don't have it scheduled here. I guess no one brought it to us. The A&R people didn't bring it to, to VH1 or, or to MTV. I said, can you do me a favor? You know, it's, it's online. And I sent them the link. And would you call me back and see, could you play it and uh, give it some airtime? Let's see if the fans like it. So Jeff calls me back and he says, David, I'll do it. I got 10 spots. So I can run it tomorrow. I can run it and I'll run it for two weeks and let's see the response. Now, he ran it two in the morning, three in the morning. So, but he ran it. Right. <laughs> but you know, he gave me some great primetime spots with it. And she just loved it, and she just couldn't believe it. She wanted me to manage her. Anyway, so Jeff and I became really good friends, and I didn't want to manage her because she's tough. You know, she's, she's a tough lady, but, you know, she's Markel Welch. She's a legend. So Jeff and I remained friends for many years. He went on to, you know, head AOL, and he had a big career. NBC, he was NBC mm -hmm. for many years. So he came, we re regrouped, and he said to me that, uh, you know, this is a, a great movie. You should tell the story. These people, you know, there's a story here. And I've always wanted to, you know, I had reality shows, but I really wanted to get deep into the story. Really talk about not only campers, but rock stars, because there's a, there's a reason that they like this thing also. And we wouldn't be around for 26 years if it didn't have, you know, both. And, you know, he started going through all my film, and as you know, we had 90 terabytes of footage, and we had one editor. And then we, I said to him, you know, there's one documentary I like, and it's called 20 Feet from Stardom. I think it's a great doc, and it won an Academy Award, and it tells the story about the backup singers. And I said, I want to find the person that edited that film to finish our film. And we reached out to him. His name was Doug Blush, and Blush saw what we did so far, and he says, I can do a job with this. I, I, I really like what you have here. And he took it on, and, and he finished it with a guy named Josh Bayer, the, another editor, and they did a great job. You know, Will I ever do another documentary again? I don't know, but <laughs> that was the experience was hard, but I, I, they did a great job. So that's how it happened. The two of them. And how did you get the big stars like Gene Simmons and Alice Cooper to be a part so, of it? So that's, that's a great question, Britt. Alice was easy. I called Shep and I asked, and Shep and I have been friends, and you know he's been a mentor of mine for many years, and so that was it was good. I called everyone. I called Roger Daltrey. Sure, I'll do it. And I called Joe Perry's manager, calling back and said Joe wants to be in it, and I guess I was interviewing everyone and went to Gene, and Gene wanted a favor from me, and I said Gene. I'll trade you. I'll do you a favor. Do me a favor. So and he was fabulous in it. Paul Stanley, he was a camp. He said, no one, no one turned me down. You know, it was great. Even Meatloaf, he didn't like the way he looked as much. His lawyer said, please don't. You don't include him. So, you know, we just show a little footage of him, but we don't show, show his interview. But no one turned us down. It, it was incredible. Judas Priest, they were amazing. Uh, you know, so that was really, for me, that was, that was great. And um, so we did the interviews first, and, and then we had to find the characters. And you know, we, we went through about 12 different people. And the story, each one, we could have done a camp, a story on 30 of them or 300 of them. Everyone has an amazing story. But we wanted to diversify. And 
have young people and older people and, and really tell the story and the most compelling stories. So what was the worst part of making this and, and best too? But documentaries are expensive. There's a lot that goes into it, right? A lot goes into it. It's so hard because, you know, you start making a documentary and the story becomes one thing. And then all of a sudden you do an interview and it becomes something else. And then you go down another road. It's like going down this maze and, you know, till you find it. And see, it's really hard to even prepare for it. So you can't write them and, you know, you try to write them. I, I think the hardest thing was the time that it takes to make a documentary. And, you know, and, and I think what happens with someone like Doug Blush, he's so well-known and so popular that he takes on a lot of different projects. So, you know, he has to finish one and then do another and then you have to find the editors and... And then it's clearing the music and clearing all the clearances. That's a, a lot of work. At the end, it took five years. It was the hardest thing I've ever had to do. Wow. But from it has come this beautiful Fox projects coming up. And so, uh, you know, I'm excited about it. And I do love the feelings that people get when they watch it. And they watch it over and over and over again because it really is. The stories are great. And, they're, and like I said, everyone could, they could have done a story on everyone. Were there any big cuts that happened of scenes that you liked or didn't like? Are you happy that got cut? Or? Yeah, there were a lot of scenes that got cut, yeah. you know, because you cannot, you have to keep it to like no more than 80 minutes. People watch yeah. the whole Playboy Mansion scenes. There was right. a lot of Playboy Mansion stuff that I just, you know, I cut that. There was a great scene with um, the drummer from Pink Floyd. and Nick yeah, Mason. Nick, Nick Mason. You know, he was great. I mean, there were a lot of stuff that fell on the floor. There, there's, there's definitely another doc sitting there, as you've seen in all that footage. It was hard. There was a lot of stuff you had to cut. But, you know, the councils were great and, and, you know, choosing people. And then basically what happened was the last year and a half, Doug said to me, David, just get out of the kitchen. Let me bake the cake. So, you know, <laughs> stay away. And I did. And, I, you know, let him do what he had to do. And, and I, I did a great job. You know, you get emotion from it. You watch it. I did a podcast this morning. And the lady told me she saw it three times. It just you, know, you really get a lot of emotion. One of the best parts of the film that has gotten one of the biggest reactions, too, is the Keller family, who is awesome. You know, Jackson Keller is the bassist in it. And actually, uh, we got to do an interview with Jackson Keller and his dad and his brother, too. So we'll take a second and listen to that. I mean, the paparazzi are getting really annoying. We can barely leave our house. But uh, other than that, it's been pretty normal. Um, no, the uh, I've been amazed. You know, I'll be at airports because I travel for work and I'll have people come up to me and say, hey, you're that guy in that rock camp movie, aren't you? And or I'll be at concerts. I get quite a few people at concerts. Uh, hey, you're that guy, you know, and that's been kind of fun. But I think even more fun, uh, at least for me to see, uh, we were in Denmark on a family trip and we're taking pictures at one of the famous sites, a street with like beautiful colored houses. And everyone's taking pictures of that. And someone taps us on the shoulder and says, wait, I want to get a picture with you guys. And we turn around and it's like, I just watched your movie on the flight over. I can't believe you're here. And just made a big deal of, oh my gosh, I'm meeting these people who were in Rock Camp, the movie. And he literally had seen it on the flight coming overseas. And uh, and then a lot of people wanted pictures with us because, you know, they didn't know, oh, you're in a movie? Of course we want pictures with you. It was a really fun experience. So we get some of that. Um, I think more fulfilling for me is, People who do come up and talk about the camp, often I'll then see them at a camp and uh, and just to see them and to ask them like, well, has it been worth it? You know, what's your experience like? And it's been universally positive. So just to see how that positive energy, the experiences we have have helped create that for others is is pretty awesome. But Jackson, how does it feel being in a movie? I like being in the movie with a bunch of people watching me. Yeah, Jackson was on his way to Florida, actually with my wife, Fiona. I wasn't there. And uh, he's literally is watching... Rock Camp, the movie on the screen, yeah, I, and and I people, 
Blue, yeah. Unzip Blue, yeah. They have move. They have TV screen tricks and watch it. Yeah, and so then people kind of put it together that wait, you're that guy on the screen, and then it became a little you know Jackson fan club convention. David, I wanted to ask you now, talk about the Keller family in the film and the reaction that you got from that and everything. I mean, I guess, first of all, who are they to you okay. originally? Well, Scott, just an amazing human being. I mean, he travels to every country. He's been to Iran, to Iraq. He's been to Israel. He's been to Asia, Thailand. He's part of this group that goes to every country in the world. That's his thing. Very successful consultant, a very special human being. And we met because he um, wrote me an email and he said to me, I want to thank you. I did the Judas Priest camp. My son and I had a most amazing experience. Signed, McKinsey Company. So I said, McKinsey Company. I read the email. And I had a smarty, smart cousin who worked at McKinsey. He, came out, he you know, came out of college. He went to Yale Law, went to Harvard, undergrad, Princeton. So, you know, then he went to work at McKinsey. So I knew who they are. And I called him back. And I said, you know, business has been hard. This is a hard business. I don't care what people think. I know the Jackie Mason line. You know, it's so great. He opens a show on Broadway every night, and he's say, every Jew was counting how much money I'm making. You know, they think it's so easy. They think it's, you know, they, they don't realize what goes into the business. And I went to Scott, and I said, Scott, this is hard. And, you know, I'm losing money. There were some years that we, we lost money. And, you know, whether it's the economy, whether it's overpaying an artist, or not as many people show up. I mean, it's promoting, you know. And, and you know, they tell you if you want to be a promoter, you should just take $100,000, put it in your front lawn, and light a match, you know. <laughs> That's what it is to be a promoter. Scott, I said, can I have some advice? And, you know, what, what do I do with this business? And about, it was about seven years ago. And he said to me, I'm going to call you back. He calls me back. I got it for you. I invited six of my smartest people who work at McKinsey, and I've asked them if they'll come and help you. One of them was the former CEO of Ticketmaster. You know, McKinsey hires, gets hired by a company to solve an issue, and then they, the person that solves it, usually they ask them, well, why don't you just be our president of our company? So they have such, you know, many of the CEOs out there today in the, in the top 500 companies are either from Bain and Company, which is like, or McKinsey, because they solve the issues. So she came. There's a band called They Are Giants. The gentleman runs the, his father runs the McKinsey office in Orange County. He came with his father, and they put a great group of people together. We had dinner, and they said, David, you got 10 minutes to talk. And you know me, I could have talked for an hour. Scott says, you got 10 minutes, David. Tell us the issues. We'll ask you questions for 10 minutes, and then you'll basically shut the F up, and we'll tell you what we think you should do. And that's what they did. They, they asked me, and I told them, and they gave me such amazing advice. They went through my books. They, they sent auditors in, and they gave me some great advice. They said, David, you make $10. You're grossing $10. You're spending 12 Spend 9 and keep a dollar. I mean, it was so simple. And I had a place in Vegas, and I had, such, I had so many costs I was just carrying. And they really gave me great advice. And Scott has become a dear friend, and, and I think of him every day. I think of his business mind. And... And the bottom line is, I said, why don't one day? I said, why don't you just run my company? You're a genius, and you're rock and roll. I mean, there's no one more rock and roll than Scott. He's Keller. a big metalhead too. He's a yeah. metal. I can't yeah. wait to come to camp. And but here's the most incredible story that I got at the Colors uh, that's in the film. Uh, I think I get emotional thinking about it. But I got a call from a lady, and she saw the film. She said to me, you know, I need to talk to you. And I said, okay. She said, you know, my husband and I, we have a a daughter and has the same thing that Scott uh, that Scott and his wife have in, in Jackson. And my husband didn't want to work with me to help um, our daughter. Now she's in an institution and, you know, we're divorced and, and, and my daughter, poor daughter. And if my, if my husband would have worked with me like the Kellers worked together, 
to put in all that time for Jackson, my daughter would be flourishing today, just like Jackson is. I mean, so that was really touching. And so many people have reacted to their story. And one of my favorite lines that I've always lived in business with, you know, life is 10% of what happens, 90% how you deal with it. And I said that to Scott. He said, no, David, it's 95%. It's 5% of what happens, 95% how you deal with it. And that's such a great line everyone should take away in life. And just to see how appreciative they are, and they're such a good Christian religious family, and they love that metal music. And he's just been a great friend, great friend to Britt. Yeah. He's been a great friend to, to Miles, to you, and to everybody at camp. Mm-hmm. And he comes to every camp. And, you know, he, he I always invite him to come, and whether he's as a camper, just to drop in. And it's so funny. He comes in his metal outfit, you yeah. know. Yeah. Right? Right? He's ready leather to see vest. All, all leather right. With the patches. Patches. Right. And he's and always spikes. Spikes. Right. And then he's catching the plane. He's always catching a plane to another mm-hmm. city. Like, you know, he's in the city one day, and then, so all of a sudden he shows up to Chicago. He calls me from Chicago and says, David, I forgot to bring my suit. He <laughs> had to go buy a suit. He said, the only clothes I have on me are these rock clothes. <laughs> he's really good, and he's helped me out throughout the years. You know, I go to him with an issue, and Britton and I have gone to him and say, you know, we're thinking of this, we're thinking of that. And he's given me such great advice, you know, and, and really, really special people, really special. And I, I got to tell you, 99%, and I would say 100% of the campers are really amazing people. Oh, yeah. There are so many great people. I mean, the foundation from campers who have decided to put together, and they get so caught into, they love the emotion that Rock Camp gives them, that they want to send young kids to, to camp, and they'll pay for it, a, a scholarship fund. I mean, you know, it's interesting. I remember years ago when I was doing camp, I got up there, and I had a couple drinks, and I was doing my opening night speech, and I remember telling everybody, you know, I looked at the audience, and I said, you know, I represented a monkey, an animal, a turtle, uh, a grass root, uh, <laughs> <laughs> a beetle. <laughs> and I said, all I did was spend my entire career keeping you folks away from my rock stars. And now... All I do is bring you all together. Screw the rock stars. You know, I love you folks. And it's really true, you know. And the relationships that people make at camp. I mean, a guy sent a record today that Billy Sheehan produced his record. I thought that was great. You know, he made a relationship with Billy Sheehan's amazing. You know, he knows what he's doing. So he helped this camper do it. So I think the magic of rock camp is the friendships that people make. And Kip Winger on down, the, and even Roger Daltrey, the, the best friends they've made is that rock and roll fantasy camp. Yeah, that's kind of a quick, interesting side note, because that is a big thing that happens at camp when campers actually end up having the rock stars play on their records. I mean, Britt, have you have you had any of those kind of things happen with your campers? Yeah, I have. I have. And even more so, like, you know, hey, will you, will you jump up on stage if you're going to be in this city, or oh, we're going to open for your band, things like that. So and how much are we charging way. for that? Yeah. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in, even, uh, you know, at this camp, camp that we just had, you know, one of the rock camp bands, it's another family band, like the Keller's band, uh, the Intemperate Sons, they they closed the show at the Viper Room after the rock camp performance there. So people just can't stay away. They just want to keep coming back and getting re-engaged. And um, yeah, it's it's pretty amazing. Right. And we actually, in episode three, you can go back and meet Keith Watson because we feature him in there. He's one of our featured campers in there, Keith Watson from the Intemperate Sons. He's done awesome stuff with his kids and band. But, you know, moving on from that, The movie was not the first time that Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp was featured in the public eye. In like 2010, 2011, you did a VH1 reality show with Mark Burnett. I mean, <laughs> well, before that, oh, it was. Um, I did another show. I did a. I did a. What happened was like this: when I first announced the camp, really the second camp, 2000, 
my phones were flooded. I mean, everybody wanted, I was getting offers from everywhere. To, you know, this will make a great reality show, a great series, everything. So I hired the William Morris agency at the time, and I lived in New York at the time, and they had me fly into L.A., and they were going to set up meetings with 10 producers. Over 12 hours, I was going to meet 10 producers who were going to pitch me the idea to do a reality series on rock and roll fans. Is that how they yeah. usually do it? That's how they do it, yeah. Okay. They represent production companies, right. and they um, they have producers. They try to put their producers together with the talent so that they can, what's called packaging. So they can package the show and, and not just commission you know your 10%, but they commission the entire show. And it's called Packaging. It's very famous. Um, you can Google it, and it's, it's how these studios have made millions, and these agencies have made millions of dollars. So I met with 10 producers. They all walked in, and the one guy, Vince DeBono, who does the video show. Yeah, know, yeah, America's Funniest Home America's Videos. America's Funniest Videos. Yeah. I mean, the biggest names producers came in to pitch me, and, and I didn't know which one to pick. And the last guy comes in, Brian, and he hands me a box of chocolate and says, Here, David, and good to see you. It's Brian. You remember I did American Gladiators? And I said, Yes, Brian. So I chose Brian, you know, and he brought me the box of chocolate. And, <laughs> and, uh, That's all it takes. You know, you're flying in from LA, from New York. So, anyways, I knew Brian. I felt comfortable with him. And so, what he does is he comes to you and you get a great producer because the networks will buy from a producer that, that can produce the show. We got it off from AMC. No, was it, it wasn't AMC. TLC. TLC at the time. All letters, whatever. Yeah, yeah, they're all the same. Reminds you of that Joe Walsh record. Mm -hmm. Joe Walsh did a record of only initials. <laughs> FBI, IRS. It's great, great, great record. <laughs> These producers, we got the offer from TLC. And they came to me, and they offered 15 episodes, and but they wanted to take a young girl, put her in with an older guy in the band, and they wanted to, they had their idea what they wanted to do, fantasy camp. I remember calling Roger Daltrey, and I said, Roger, I got an offer for a, a series, and you know they want this, and they would love you in it, and that, that. And he said to me, no. He says, you're going to kill your brown. You have a great thing here. You have a great thing. Do not do that. I said, but, you know, 15 episodes, and you get a payment every episode. He said, do not do that. He said, I'll, I'll do you a favor. Let him document it. Let him tell the story, and I'll do it. But don't do a series like that. And I'm very thankful to him. He was right, and uh, he did it. And Brett Michaels did it, and it's on YouTube. And it's, right. a, uh, it's a series. It's on YouTube, and, and it was a four-part series. It, it, well, well, it was a two hours, but it's on four parts or eight parts on TLC. And that was the first really series that we had. You know how it works in that business. The president left, and they didn't do the series, but they did a documentary, and it was great. And it was, this was before Brett got his other, his other Rock series. Rock of Love and Rock all of that, love stuff. And all that yeah. stuff. And it, it was great. It's, people should watch it. It's really a lot of fun. Roger's in it, and so many great people are in it. And then, you know, we're leading into, you know, Saturday Live did a whole bit. And, and they never have to ask you. You know, if they, if they, they do something comedy— you know, if it's comic, you're allowed to spoof on, on people. And so, you know, we had a great Saturday Live, and The Simpsons to me was amazing. And um, Yeah, how did The Simpsons one come okay, about? The, That's the, good. With yeah, Simpsons is a great one. Stones. Yeah, The Simpsons was Stones. Well, so the producers were listening to Howard Stern, and Leslie West was on the show. And he was talking about going to rock and roll fantasy camp, and he was doing an interview. And Howard knew the camp, and living in New York, he knew what we were doing. And they talked about it for a long time. And the producer goes into the meeting, production meeting that day, says, I got the idea. We think I'd do the final episode of the, of the year. Or, and they said, he said, let's get Homer Simpson to go to rock and roll fantasy camp. The writer says, you know, my daughter, she's dating Rockabilly. What's the what's the Rockabilly? Stray Cats? Stray Cats. Oh, yeah. yeah. Ryan Setzer. Yeah. Okay. That's it. He says, my daughter is dating Ryan's son, and I'll call him up and, you know, see, we'll do an episode with him. And 
So he calls him up and says, so sure, I'll do The Simpsons. You know, The Simpsons are so hot. And then someone called Tom Petty. They knew Tom Petty. And Tom Petty said, absolutely, my kids will finally think I'm hip. <laughs> and, you know, he did the episode. And then a day later, the phone rings, and it's the publicist for the Rolling Stones. He calls up and says, you know, the Stones are going on tour, and they're looking for a property. And, you know, they want to do something fun, and, and you have an idea. And they said, we got the idea, rock and roll fantasy camp. And Mickey Keith said, that's great. Let's do it. And they did it. And now all of a sudden, their penny was good, but then Brian Setzer, and then they, but they had called other people to do it. So it was an amazing series. And, and really, it really took us to the top. It's one of the top 10. It made such big headlines in London. You know, mm-hmm. in London, it was the front page of the London Times. And so we landed up doing a camp in London. And it was great. I'm really thankful to them. How does that help the brand when you're spoofed on The Simpsons? I mean, do people start signing up because they saw it on the TV yeah, show? absolutely, because you brand awareness. Right. And, uh, and then people look up. There's really a camp? There's really a rock and roll fantasy camp? And then, and then there was a commercial that really helped us a lot. I got a call from Live Nation, and they had a client, Citibank. And Citibank wanted to do a commercial of uh, a wife sending her husband using points to go to rock and roll fantasy camp. And they had Dave Navarro in it. I remember and, that, yeah. Um, they used our logo. I remember going to the meeting, and absolutely, you know, that was a big, that commercial was so successful, it was supposed to run six months, it ran 14 months, and it was all over the Oscars, there was everything. That was a big help, but people didn't really believe there really is a camp, you know, and then they look it up, and that really helped us a lot. That's brand awareness, and I know last year was fun when I, I got a call in the middle of the night that it was on billions, and... You know, I said, what? It's on Billions. And so interesting because the first episode of Billions last season was about a Peloton bike and a guy dies riding the Peloton bike. And um, I was scared. And then I watched the series and it was great. You know, Wags goes to Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp and the new boss wants him to blow a, a stock there. You know, a whole thing. I mean, in, inside trading. And he can't do it because his friends went to he went to camp with these people and they're in a van. It's a great episode. So Billions was great. They had some fun ones. Um, Bones. Bones was great. Yeah, Bones accused me of killing somebody, and you know, <laughs> uh, my, and my favorite was Ellen. Ellen. Ellen DeGeneres. That was great. The writer just he spoofed me. You know, took a guy with a yarmulke and called me Hesh, and uh, <laughs> and it was David Crosby and Ellen and Graham Nash or somebody. They went to Rock and Roll Fancy. It was a great episode. So going back. Because we didn't quite finish the whole VH1 reality show stuff. You, you yeah, do we the, talk about that. You do the TLC thing, and then how does uh, then, Mark and Burnett? Then, and then what happened was that so we never really did a series, and then I got called by another agency. They sent me to meet the, also producers. You know, it was a famous the guy. Um, he got the call. He runs the biggest agency in town. I'll think of his name too. He sent his people to see the show, see the camp, and they they came on a Wednesday night because Wednesday night we used to do a dinner where I had the campers and counselors together. And we should go back and do that, Britt, because mm. every we went around the table and everyone talked about their experience. And there was this guy there, and he saw it, and he called him. Brother was the mayor of Chicago. who's the, the biggest guy in town here. So he sent his people, and they loved it, and they went out and pitched it. And then I got a call from the owner of Fox, you know, Rupert's daughter. Oh, wow. And she wanted to meet me. Went to England to meet her. We talked about it, but she thought it was, should be like a rehab show on the BBC. And I said, no, that's not it. You know, I used to think how exciting it's going to be to get a TV show and you get a movie off and a documentary. But the problem is, is they don't get your message out there. And so you really got to take control of it or else you lose it. How much control do you get? So you don't, you know, so that's why you turn deals down unless unless they they can find. That's why I love doing the documentary, because we did have control of it. Mm. And but as you get more experience in the business and you get a bigger name, you get more control. So when you're in the beginning, they take advantage of you. 
And then you can insert controls. So I think what happened was that, so that's what she wanted. She was a lovely lady. I mean, she read an article about it on American Airlines. And so she called her lawyer and she said, I want this, you know. And, you know, that's how they find things. They read an article. But what happened was that I came out of a producer's office. The guy in this town who really, it was my second meeting. The first meeting, oh, they whine, they dine you, they tell you everything you want to hear. And then the second meeting, they got down to it. And, and again, he didn't understand what it is. And it's really people... You know, it's telling the stories, and it's not a competition show. So I remember walking out of that producer's office and saying, and I'm always thinking what Roger said to me, don't kill your brand. And if he loved it, I'm going to make sure that I'm not going to hurt it. I leave this guy's office and my phone rings, and it's a fellow named David Eilenberg. I work with Mark Burnett, and we'd love to talk to you. So I happened to have been in town. I was coming there, and I went over to his offices. I met Mark, and, and they had a pitch on the show. And, you know, in the end, I learned a lot, but didn't love the series because— it was younger people wanting to be to make their career. Now, I've gotten more mature over the years, and I realize the competition is really what people want to see. So that's what you need to do. So, you know, you learn. You learn to live. You know, you don't take the first thing, and you think about it. How similar would you say that the reality show is to Real Rock Camp, the VH1 show? The one you'll see on YouTube is very real. Yeah, that was real. And I thought he did a great job. It was like a two-hour doc and everything oh, like that. Oh, the TLC one. The TLC one. That yeah. was great. The reality show that they did with Mark Burnett on the H1, again, it was people who wanted to use it as a way to make their careers. And it wasn't more the story. But I, I thought Kip Winger was great on it. He yeah. he really did a great job. I mean, was it some, scripted? Did they give you no, that No, it wasn't scripted. No, yeah. it was also reality. There were some great moments, you know. I remember yeah. Kip bouncing the ball and teaching music. That was brilliant. Sammy Hagar did it. Paul Stanley did it. It was great. And VH1 Classic gets about 100,000 viewers at that time. They opened up the season. They got a million viewers. So they found that series. It did well. And then they did the second year. And, you know, VH1 Classic was great. Well, I actually I have a clip from that show. Uh, Heather, who was in Rudy's band, yeah. she made a name for herself in the show because every everybody that came in, Lemmy Kilmister, Lita Ford, all of them, she asked, will you be in my band? So we'll listen to that right now. This is an incredible opportunity for her to ask her some really good questions so she can elevate her craft with Lita's knowledge. Can I ask you a question? Sure. Um, I'm doing my own band, you know, at home and stuff, and I do need some other players. Would you want to be in my band? Oh, my gosh. When I heard Heather ask Lita Ford, do you want to be in my band, I just wanted to hang myself. Well, Michael Anthony came in yesterday, so he's going to be playing bass. So oh, really? you, Yes. <laughs> I do have my own band, and I was going to see if you wanted to be in my band. Well, you could play in a couple, but you could kind of kind of sub in mine a little bit. Would you do that? Yeah, she was quite a character. Rudy kind of has this reaction in the clip, like, I can't believe that she's asking everybody to join her band. But do you get a lot of that? I mean, even at the real rock camps, do you, do you get oh, a lot thought, of that kind of stuff? I thought the funniest thing is at the comedy camp, uh, a lady gets up there and says, you know, I learned at rock camps and at the comedy camps that learned to ask the question and went to Jay Leno, Jay, would you host the Christmas parade and be our grand marshal? And I thought Jay was great. He says, I don't like to wave to people. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, we get everything at Rock Camp. People are people. <laughs> Would you say that a reality show helps the brand, or do people end up coming expecting fighting and stuff like that because of well, a show like well, that? That's a great question, Miles, because I think that that show on VH1 didn't help the brand in the end because they showed infighting. And they, a lot of these, for our brand, it didn't help us. People were scared. 
because there's a lot of fighting in that show. A I mean, lot a lot more than I've ever had. There's, I mean, you're no, a counselor. The there's not really any fighting no, for the most yeah. part. If there's a little disagreement, you just work right through yeah, it. Yeah, totally Five not. Later, it's it, over. It, yeah. You know, it hurts you. There's no question it hurts you. And that's why I think you got to be careful who you lend your name to and what you do. And, you know, I have to say that from that show, uh, the same people produced, and they went on to do The Voice. And right. I didn't have those names that the uh, NBC was looking for, but the format of teaching and mentoring came out of Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp. Why? But I don't think anybody would have watched a show without drama. So you, no. you have right. to have that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? yeah. It's like, so, right. you know, season one, we had like Rudy and Kip, who have been regular counselors at the Real Rock Camp as the counselors in that show. Uh, season two was like Duff McKagan, Matt Sorum. Um, you know, did they tell you try and get some bigger names in here? Or, or what was that yeah, about? Yeah, you know, the, the, the producer of the show, who again went on to produce, Lee Metzger, who went on to produce The Voice, and now he... He's done. He's got together, and they have um, they have a show that that him and Blake are doing. They're in season two, playing games at the bars, bar games. And Lee's a great guy. He was an '80s rocker. He was in a band, and he decided, you know, he that he had to go make a real living. So he became a TV producer. He thought his band wasn't wasn't going to go, and he he was a big fan. But again, he had to he has to do what television, and they want that controversy, you know. And you're caught between, you know, do I do something that's going to hurt the brand, but on the other hand, the exposure and in the end, you know, the best thing was the TV commercial and The Simpsons. Yeah. <laughs> you go back to that and Bones. And and I think those spots and Ellen really give you the exposure that you want and a great story. But you think this upcoming series is really going to help because it's it's more competition. It's less reality. Yeah, drama. totally. I think this upcoming competition, once they finally green light it and they find these bands, I think it's going to be really cool. That What I love about dealing with both the reality series and the comedy series that we're talking to I've been involved in every minute, every meeting and everything, and even choosing the people and who we're going to work with. So, and it's exciting for me to, you know, to have behind you. And, and uh, they're so successful. They're so successful in so many shows. They really get behind it, and, and they could take it globally. And, you know, they're big in Australia. They're big everywhere. So I, I think it won't hurt it. I think it's going to be great. I think it's going to find the concept is, is to, I don't want to give it away too much, but uh, reunite bands who broke up. I think it's going to be fun. Uh, it's going to be awesome. And and like you said, you know, you're working on a comedy show, too. That was announced in Deadline a couple months ago. I mean, yep. what, what can you tell us about that? Steve Bassaloni from the Goldbergs. And again, I was involved in, in helping select him. What a great guy. He gets it, you know. And he wrote a great uh, script that's comedy, that's that's drama. It's a mocky documentary. I think it's going to be fun. And it's going to really tell the story. You've been involved in the making of it, too, Britt. I mean, how has that been for you with a music industry background to now kind of be going into the TV world a little bit? It's been so interesting. I've been learning a lot. It's it's great to see, you know, all the all the behind-the-scenes things that happen and how it, how it all gets put together. Um, so I, I'm loving it. A lot of Zoom meetings. I yeah, imagine. well, you, yeah. you know, the interesting thing, I love having Britt on the calls because none of these TV producers can play an instrument. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you look at everyone who's produced the show and the movie, <laughs> none of them can play an instrument. So it's great to have Britt there. And, you know, hey, was there fighting in your band? Yeah, Britt can say there is fighting in a band and they fight about this and this. So, yeah, no, it's great to have Britt there and, and be involved. Right. Well, listen, Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp is the best. and It should only be shared with the world. And I mean, this is a, a good avenue to do so. I don't know if there were any other TV shows that you wanted to talk about. Well, you know, there were there were there were a couple of Canadian shows they made fun, but most people didn't make fun. There's one show that a um, he thought he was doing me a favor, but then I'll I'll, I'll mention him here because he's a friend of uh, Kim Thales from Soundgarden. It's a you know I've had a couple of people make fun of it. You know, it's a comedy. It's a uh, animated show. 
animated rock and roll show. So, you know, that's all right. It, you know, if they spell the name right, I, I look at it all as great. You know, if you're going to make fun, spell the name right, and then it's good. Let um, me ask you, Britt, since we're talking about all this TV stuff, I mean, before you were involved in the camp, did you ever see it? And did you, like, was the movie, no, you were. No, so the movie hadn't come out yet, but I had just had a lot of friends from playing in bands for so many years um, that I would just see a lot of postings about it on Facebook and stuff. And I was like, I was never quite clear on what it was. Uh, and I was like, this looks so cool, but I don't really, what is this? It's not a regular gig. It's not, you know, uh, and it just, when I found out what it was, I was like, wow, this is so special. I really want to get involved because it's a completely different way to like give back and it, through music and uh, connect with people, which is like, I think the most important about, thing about music. Music is a connection. It's when you're on stage, it's a transference of energy between you and the audience. And it's, it's changing emotions. It's people cry sometimes when you play a certain note you know right. so it's, it's very emotional and so then to, to bring it in through rock camp this way where you really get to spend hours and days connecting with these people and helping them um, get through things I mean it's it's about getting through stage fright it's about conquering fears breaking down barriers that's what rock camp is about you know I, I was saying that one of the reasons that I really wanted the documentary was I really wanted to show this yeah. and I wanted to show the truth of really what it is Versus, you know, like, like you know, when VH1 and Mark Burnett and, and, you know, even with Fox. And you can get away with, they're going to use the brand and everything, but the movie is really 99% of what the camp is. No, it is. It's, I mean, if you, if you want to see what Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp is actually like, other than listening to Rock Camp, the podcast, Rock Camp, the movie is your next yeah. best bet. And or Rock Camp, the book, the, the oral, um, uh, oral history. Oral history, yeah. right. <laughs> Don't just leave it at the oral. <laughs> yeah. And, you know... Um, it's so funny. I was having a conversation today on another podcast, and I was talking about the song "The Living Years." It's a, uh, and we'll do that on another. When we talk about London, I want to tell that story. Yeah. Remind me about Paul Carrick, but he, you know, he sang that song "The Living Years," and it won a Grammy, and about a relationship that you, someone wished he would have had with his father, and his father passes away. Beautiful song, and I had an amazing relationship with my father. But I love that song. I just took the opposite. I, and I remember going to Ringo one day, and I said, I want to use Paul Carrick in the band. Oh, you just want to hear that song every night. I said, I do, and I'm going to hear it every night. <laughs> <laughs> and we put Paul Carrick in the band. <laughs> he didn't want him. I said, he's going to do it. <laughs> and, and Paul Carrick sang that and tempted and... And he was the biggest star besides Ringo that summer on on the um, on the Ringo tour. Certain songs I used even Joe Walsh when he would do, you know, when he was on the first tour and he would do a song, I'd run out to the audience because I wanted to see that song. So, you know, being on tour really get emotional. Well, guys, I think that's a good place to call it a day for this one. It's uh, there's so much uh, material as far as I mean, Rock Camp's been SNL, like you said, The Simpsons. It's all out there on YouTube, right? Yeah, it's in the movie too, and, right? And uh, but you can see the full episodes on YouTube. And, of course, if you really want the true story other than Rock Camp the podcast, Rock Camp the movie is your best next bet. Same with Rock Camp the oral history, which you can get on Amazon. And, uh, and am I missing anything? There's so no. much Rock Camp stuff to promote now. RockCamp.com if you want to find out about future camps. I'm Miles Schumann, Brit Lightning, David Fishoff. Thank you guys so much. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 